they lock around it and then they enable it. And that that becomes my pathway for life. Enable other people to be better than you ever thought they were. Never ask anyone to do something they can't do, Anthony. Only ask them to do the things that they can do and ask them to do it better and faster. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Welcome, folks, to this episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're doing this live on YouTube as well, so join us on there. Today, I'm joined by Nick D'Onofrio. So I'm going to try to get the whole title. IBM Fellow Emeritus, IBM Executive Vice President Innovation and Technology, happily retired, and the author of If Nothing Changes, Nothing Changes. Nick, how are you today? Anthony, I'm doing great. And thank you very much for having me. And I look forward to uh, one small correction. I'm not really retired, Anthony. I kind of graduated from IBM. I prefer that phraseology than retired. I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit in the pre-roll. You definitely got enough to keep you busy, including completing this book and you know any other organizations that you've had. But a 44-year career, officially not retired at IBM, uh, depending on who you ask, Super impressive. I'm sure tons of lessons learned. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you care about, what keeps you busy, and we'll get into the interview. Thank you, Anthony. I think the the biggest thing about me that I want everyone to know is change. I've kind of lived my life changing, learning, never stop. Uh, Just when you think you got it all figured out, something else is going on. And therefore, you have to keep looking for what the change is, why does it matter, does it matter, and how are you going to learn more about it? So it's 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 going to happen, Anthony, whether you like it or not. And leaders of the world are learning that. Mm-hmm. And fighting it doesn't work. Learning it, understanding it, appreciating it, valuing it, and correcting for it in whatever way your leadership style is, that's how I made my living at IBM. And I think one other important thing, Anthony, I learned a long time ago, even though at one time I was a bona fide certified electrical engineer, I did honest work for a living, really. (laughs) After a while, it becomes all about you being an enabler and no longer a doer. Mm. And the better leaders figure that out faster. I did, Anthony, many stories in the book about how I screwed up, how I didn't understand what my leadership role was. But You know, I learned very early on in my IBM career, you know, if you're going to fail, fail very early in your career so that you can correct it, learn from it and get better from it. And I did as a result of, you know, just trying to to be the wrong person at the at the wrong time for an incredibly important technical group that I thought I understood better than they did what they were supposed to do right then there, Anthony is when I decided to become an enabler. Mm. I'm no longer a doer. I'm going to find a way to make you better at what you do. 
that's awesome. Well, I would say, hey, let's cover all of those lessons learned, but we don't have four hours for a podcast. And I definitely want to ask how you see the future of technology, especially because, you know, history repeats itself in certain ways. And, and you know, even just in the past couple of weeks with ChatGP and all of that stuff. But I, but I really want to hone in on, you talked about the evolution of your career, an electrical engineer by trade in an organization like IBM for such a long time, so many cycles and an environment where, you know, you're, you're installing a machine to put somebody on the moon and, and all of the iterations through there. So to me, I assert it's an environment that fosters that learning and that failing in a safe space because that's how you push the boundaries. But what was your experience in that world of innovation. And then I'll also kind of put the caveat that on the periphery now in 2023, you have people talking about technological innovation or digital transformation. So digital transformation in the 80s, 90s, 2000s is the same but different as it is now. So that's a huge question and take it whichever way you want to go. Yeah, we only have a finite amount of time. So <laughs> let's, I'll try to get this into a nutshell. So you're, you're all... All of those points are incredibly important. So remember, when I started, Anthony, it was 1963. I mean, that's a very long time ago. And technologies were evolving almost daily in 1963. Mm -hmm. So the question became, what do you know, Nick? What, what do you believe in? What, what do you trust in? Where do you put your, where, where do you put your commitment, right? You, I'm trying to build a career. I'm a young Italian you know, a grandson of immigrants from Italy, you know, trying to struggle, get my way out of, you know, the the, the bottle and the box that I'm in. So I, I came to the conclusion, however I got there, that understanding the basics was what's important because I immediately co-opted with IBM back in 1964. I, that's how my 44-year career started. I co-opted with them when I was at RPI. And I, I saw, I mean, I, here I am working on the, the memory design system for the, the system 360, which was just announced. And I'm already in a lab where we're working on replacing it, where mm -hmm. we're, we're working on taking that technology, bringing in another technology. And I'm sitting there scratching my head saying, okay, I mean, how much do I need to know about ferrite cores? Because we're going to replace them in five years with something like a transistor or an integrated circuit. So I got that into my bloodstream very early, Anthony. So fortunate in college, learning, very impressionable, but also in industry, learning, very impressionable, and seeing seeing this all change. I mean, when I was started at RPI, we, they were teaching us vacuum tube circuits. I mean, you don't even know what a vacuum tube is for the most part, right? So, and in ferrite cores, you have no clue as to what a ferrite core is and why it was important, although it exists in many systems. If I were to talk to you more about this, it would scare you that they're still there, but they work. And then, you know, the problem is everybody wants bigger, better, cheaper, faster. I mean, that, that's kind of the mantra. So I was able to see, Anthony, that, and I, I count this as, you know, maybe the switching point, the pivot point, and, and maybe the defining moment for me. I was able to see that I needed to learn, continue to learn, learn fast, uh, move quickly, because it was all evolving. Now, we're in a state right now where you know, you would say, well, Nick, what are you talking about? Everything's pretty stable. Everything about silicon looks good. I mean, you know, just when I want the next big thing, I just go buy the next big thing. You know, another, I want another cell phone. I want another computer. I want another this. I just go buy it, Nick. What are you talking about? Well, the fact of the matter is we've had a good 50 to 60 year run with silicon. 
but it didn't start out in silicon. Started out in other materials, materials you don't even know about. But I lived through that, Anthony. I saw that coming too. I saw the evolution of you know the the what we would call LSI, large scale integration, then medium scale, then very large scale, and to the scale that you've got today. And I kept saying to myself, you know, there's always more to come. There's always more to learn. It's a changing scene. It never stops. And we drive ourselves, but independent of us from a business perspective, driving ourselves, science drives itself. The engineering of it drives itself, the chemistry of it. You know, and and then as I grew up and matured, I realized that it's not just the physical world, physical science world, it's the life science world that's also rapidly evolving. And I was able to kind of intersect the two in, in my career, Anthony. So lots of lessons learned, but the biggest lesson was never stop learning. Never quit on yourself. Always understand what you know and what you don't know. Always be willing to admit that. And I had to do that several times in my career, but never stop learning and never stop having fun. Commit yourself to a life of change. And it actually is a lot of fun. I mean, I, I we talked about 44 years at IBM, but as you know, I went on as a director to work with AMD and rebuild AMD. I went on as a director to rebuild Delphi technologies into Aptiv. I mean, these are real things you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as you get more mature, I won't say older, Anthony. I was going to correct you on that when you said it earlier, but yeah. yeah, As you get more mature, don't quit on yourself because everything continues to change and evolve. And you, you have to learn to your points earlier, how do you manage this? How do you manage innovation? How do you manage the technical workforce, the technical people? You know, the business side of things are pretty straightforward, but how do you create real value? And real value is created out of something. Not just, you know, I'm, I'm not just a manager and a manipulator of value. I believe that in, in us all, which is why I went to AMD and helped them, why I went to Delphi and helped them, you, you, you can look inside, Anthony. You look into the abyss and you say, hey, there's something here. You know what? We're going to pull this out. You know, we're going to find a way to uh, help this, nurture it, cultivate it, strip it down and create real value out of it. So, you learn that along the way and the better leaders. And I'm not just talking about technical leaders, Anthony. I mean, I had to become a business leader too. The better business leaders understand this. They look for that real value. They lock around it and then they enable it. Mm-hmm. And that that becomes my pathway for life. Enable other people to be better than you ever thought they were. Never ask anyone to do something they can't do, Anthony. Only ask them to do the things that they can do and ask them to do it better and faster. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, geez, uh, the the balance of technology, I mean, technological pieces and the material, I think one of those has iron in it, the pieces (laughs) you're talking about, but looking at what really stuck with me was the like what you know and what you don't know. And as you talk about, hey, we're building something, putting something together, and we just release it. And meanwhile, we're on to the next technology. And the speed of technological change goes faster. But us as consumers who don't know what we don't know, I don't know how my phone gets put together. 
what innovation happens when no one's looking. And then you have the innovation that's happening in the past couple of months, like nuclear fission as a form of energy that will catapult us, the use of artificial intelligence and its proliferation. And, you know, is it good or bad? And how does that work? And how do people use that? I had one other example that I that I can't remember now, but but looking at all of that. And so I'll, one other thing. I was watching TikTok the other day and they was they had a scene from Wally. And the scene of Wally was nuclear reactors and wind tunnels on top of piles of garbage to say we didn't change fast enough was the kind of illusion. And so looking, you're saying, hey, we we talk about change, we talk about change being fast. Are we reacting fast enough? We talk about better and faster, but what about good? Is it all of this? stuff that gets created, is it more accurate? Is it real? And I know that that goes, you know, into your book a little bit. So why don't you take that? Yeah, what so you that, that is the, I mean, for me, that's the Holy grail. What is real and what is truth? And are you responsible? And are you socially responsible for everything you're doing? And, you know, being honest with myself as an engineer scientist, we don't build things. I didn't build things for the bad of things. I built them for the good of things. But realistically, you know, they can all be used for the bad of things. Hmm. And if you're a good person, a good engineer, a good scientist, you know this. And you have to always be questioning yourself. What bad things will happen as a result of all this good stuff that we're doing? So you're on a very important critical point, you know, helping nurture AI. I mean, hell, I remember talking about AI when the moonwalk. Uh, was the big dance at the time. And I had to go to a high school class. And for them to even want to listen to me about AI, I had to actually do the moonwalk uh, for them. And you should have seen me that. It was kind of like a joke. But I got through it and they listened. But even then, what was that, 30 years ago, Anthony? You know, everybody in high school was like, my God, is that the end of the world because of AI? You know, what does that mean? You know, and here we are 30, 30 years later. And by the way, it was 30 years before that, that AI, AI was even christened. You know, the things about AI that you need to be worrying about is the truth of the AI, the bias in the algorithms, you know, is the data real, is it, is it th synthetic? That's where technology has to keep applying itself to convince you that what we're doing is good. Because if we're not doing that, Anthony, it's going to come out bad. Trust me, there's a lot of bad people out there who will use technology to profit themselves and not the common good. Uh, you you brought up fusion. I got to take a second of your time. So okay. <laughs> I'm I'm not on the fusion team, but I know a lot about the the, the uh, National Ignition Facility at Lawrence Livermore. They were my partner. We worked with them to manage the nuclear stockpile. So we are the people. My team at IBM. We gave you know the Department of Energy and NSA all the computers they needed, Anthony, to simulate the nuclear stockpile. We actually helped keep the world, you know, from blowing up bombs, just to be blunt with you, because the, the weapons has, that weapon stockpile has to be certified every year to the president. Somebody has to certify that that stockpile is good, it's valid, it will work. And by the way, we know what the Russians have, we know what the Chinese have, and we know what everybody else has. So, you know, models work. That, that was, it's called the ASCII program. I got a little note a couple of weeks ago when Fusion, Fusion hit, saying, that believe it or not, we played a small role in that because they, they had some problems figuring out that energy conversion. And they went back to some of those models that we had developed 
and those techniques that we had developed a long time ago to manage the nuclear stockpile to close the equation. Whatever, whatever it was, you know, two units in, three units out of energy. Uh, it sounds simple, but there's a lot of stuff going on there. So there you go. I mean, we built all those models. We gave them all those computers, those simulators for different reasons. And here we go applying it to good. Now, it's just as likely that some very bad people out there, nation states or bad actors, are doing the same thing, Anthony, to use it for personal gain or to use it for harm. And, and that, that is the dilemma of sitting on the edge of science and engineering. It's always been the dilemma. Always know the consequences intended and otherwise of what you're doing. Don't, don't, don't blow through it. So that's why I, I said earlier to you, I, I look for the basics in things. We got to remember those basics. We got to keep learning the basics because those are the truths that you have to hold on to in the world of technology, whether it's life science or physical science or political science or educational science. You have to hold on to some truth, believe it, move it through all of the thinking and be responsible for everything you do intended and otherwise. And don't be afraid to ask the question, what bad things can happen as a result of this? And what do I need to prepare for? And what do I need to get other people prepared for along the way? Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, but most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting time. So I want to ask about the do no harm kind of as a as a yeah. scalable idea and and methodology and belief. But in 2013, because of call it media, call it information, distinct from in the 60s, 70s, there are multiple sources of truth. I, I was talking to somebody the other day. And we said my wife and I, who have different read different books, consume different content, have different experiences, could have two vastly different perspectives on the world and different truths. And so that's just in itself. And then proliferate that, you know, moving forward. Uh, yeah. Another sidebar, World Economic Forum happened yesterday. 
Yep. And they were talking about, you know, the big divide is not between the East and West. It's the North and South because they have very different experiences of the truth of how COVID happened and affected them, how, you know, climate change is happening and affecting to them. And the divide that that creates between what is truth and what is reality, I think, is going to affect global leaders more than ever. So I don't know if you want to touch on that. But the question I really had was, I know as an engineer, you have to take a, you have your engineer ring, you have your credo, you have what you you believe. And then how does that get scaled across an organization to have everybody not think the same way, but, you know, believe the same thing? Because now you have CEOs that are laying off through no fault, but not really. They're laying off tons of people. And in some cases, it's for the greater good because they need to keep doing what they're doing or what have you. So I guess the ultimate question is, As an experienced leader, what do you want to tell other experienced leaders when they're thinking about those decisions and how to weigh the pro-con such that they're moving society and humanity forward, not backwards, and not just making a bunch of money at the expense of people? Just we'll solve that, and that'll be great. Yeah, I mean, then can we go on to world peace right after that? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. That is amazing. That's a heck of a question. Hey, look, it it actually does boil down to simple lessons, as I've, I've written in the book about myself. You have to be credible, Anthony. You have to be believable. You have to be known not just by the top of the organization as the leader. You have to be known better by the bottom of the organization as the leader. And you have to know them. And you have to be realistic as a leader. And I learned this the hard way, that the vast middle is the problem. The vast middle of the organization is where all of the real decisions get made. And if they lose their way, and sometimes with me they did, then your way is likely not going to you know, persevere. When we had to pitch and transform the IBM mainframe, you know, from, you know, this vastly large, you know, bipolar technology, you know, very expensive, very vast to this new technology, you know, in an entirely different fashion, using an entirely different computer model and respected, respected the data and the applications for the client. So they never had to change. We changed everything about that, but them. They got exactly what they had, could do exactly what they were doing, Anthony, and we absorbed everything else. We absorbed the hit. Lots of people said it couldn't be done. You know, lots of people told me it could be done. You know, so here I am, the leader. And and I hear what you're saying about laying people off. And I'm, I'm not wearing this as a badge of courage, but we had to lay off every other person in the Mid-Hudson Valley, as the book describes. 35,000 people, Anthony, Mm. 35,000 people, all in one concentrated geography. That mistake was my mistake. You know, and and if you're a leader and you you don't take that as a personal responsibility, you're never going to get the rest of your team to follow you. They have to believe that when when they cry, you cry. When you laugh, they laugh. You know, you understand the significance, the pulse, and you have to own it. Layoffs are never a fault of the people in the organization. They're a fault of leadership. Mm. And I fully, I fully have taken that on board. I mean, I I assume that responsibility. I cried laying off those 35,000 people. I knew what I was born and raised in the Mid-Hudson Valley, for goodness sakes. It was my hometown. My mom and dad lived there. I used to get a call every night from my mother asking me what the hell I was doing. And did I know what I was doing? You know, laying off my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my neighbor, 
her friend. I read about then is what I said, you know, my, it's a good time for you to stop telling everybody your son, the IBM executive, and just lower your profile because I've got 35,000 people who are staying and I've got to get things better for them. And if we get things better for them, those people that had to leave, things will get better for them because we'll just improve the economy around us. So it's a hard lesson, Anthony, but if you're not credible, if they don't believe you, if the organization, there's nothing worse than a general whose army won't march. Mm. And that's what you have to keep reminding yourself. You have to be connected in every step, in every way, through every level in the organization. Like I said, when they cry, you cry. When they laugh, you laugh. I mean, you have to let them know you're real and that you are a human being. You're responsible and you take the responsibility. And I learned we had some of the smartest people in the world working for me at IBM, as I'm sure everyone feels who's listening to this podcast. I had to convince them every day, Anthony, that I knew what the heck I was talking about. Mm. You know, it, there's no freebie here. It's not like, okay, one and done. You know, that's it. That's the order of the day. Get out of here. There's an order of every day. Are you sure, Nick? Are you sure, Nick? And then, of course, as you read in the book, you know, we get a switch in the CEOs. You know, Acres leaves. Kirstner comes. He wants to start it all over again. Okay, Nick, are you sure, Nick? Do you know what you're talking about, Nick? Can I really trust you, Nick? How do I know you, Nick? Hello, Nick. Anybody there, Nick? When are you going to start to make things better, Nick? So I'm very empathetic to what's going on in the marketplace. Own it is my first bit of advice to everyone. Build an environment where everyone, everyone feels like the truth matters. And I used to say this to my team regularly, and we did some amazing things because of it. I'm not expecting you to manage this all by yourself. You have to render explicit the risks that you're taking. You understand? I was an engineer. I know it's not going well. No matter what you tell me, it's not going well. Tell me the truth. Tell me how it's going. The faster you render the risk explicit, the faster I can come help you manage that risk. Because there's some things that are just out of your control. You can't do it by yourself. Know when that happens. Tell me, you be forthright, I will be forthcoming. Be forthright. Tell me the truth. I will be forthcoming. I will come and help. Now, if, if you make a steady diet of screwing up, that's a different story. That's 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 a you know, that's a performance issue. But there are points in every program, Anthony where you come to a crisis, like, okay, we can't get all those test cases tested, or we can't do all these features, or we can't put all this in. What do you do? Trying to manage it down here is sometimes the worst thing to do, as opposed to simply saying, I'm in trouble. Anthony, I'm in trouble. I think we can get it done, but we're not going to make schedule. We're not going to do it on cost. Help me. And then, you know, like I said, you be forth, right? You be forthcoming, I will be forthright. You tell me the truth and I will be there. You know, that's the the relationship. Forthright, forthcoming, both sides of the equation. I would tell them what was coming. I'd ask them for their forbearance. They needed to tell me what was coming and ask for my forbearance. And you build that into an organization, Anthony, that ragtag team I had redoing the IBM mainframe, listen to this. That mainframe will be 60 years old next year. That's awesome. Not 
anywhere on this earth will you find another system that is compatible with itself mm. for 60 years. That means the first code you wrote in 64 still runs on the brand new thing you buy. It's none of this, hey, that's out of service. How many of those do you get? Well, time for you to get some new apps, Anthony. That Those apps are out of service. You better get the new one or else this isn't going to run anymore. Or how about uh, 3G, 4G, 5G? You know, you, you get the you get the point. People are making these trade-offs, Anthony, every day. They're making these trade-offs every day. And, and technologically, they could be whatever you want them to be, but you own it when you do it, and the rest of the world ends up having to live with it. I'm sure I'm sure I'm ticking off somebody in your audience right now by saying this, and I apologize. <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to share before. You know, when we talked about all these technological innovations, it's impossible until it's done and then it's commonplace. And so the things that you were building technologically were impossible and then you did them. And now like you can't build a system that's going to last 60 years. Well, until you do it. I think one of the things for our, you know, if you're listening as a leader is most people are so afraid of conflict right now and proactive conflict in the right way actually solves problems. Leaders I see try to avoid problems. They try to avoid the the forthrightness and the forbearance because it'll be uncomfortable. But it'd be suffer now or suffer later when thing really hits the, hits the fan and you'll have your own problems. But Nick, I think we got time for one more question. And I know we could talk. We have to st still solve world peace. So we'll have to do that another time. But what I really want to ask you was one of my first questions was, you talked about the future. You talked about what's on the edge. And I know that you're involved in some organizations doing great things. What do you see? What excites you? You're not retired. In fact, far from it. What's on the front of your brain and what are you playing with these days? Because you seem like the guy who likes to tinker and work on things. So what are you seeing? And, and maybe that's how we'll finish off today. It's a great way to end, Anthony. Thank you. And again, thanks for the time with you and your audience. It's this whole issue of truth. It's the whole issue of how do you know? Is there bias? Is there no bias? Where did it come from? How'd you get there? So there's a lot of initiatives, Anthony. One that I'm hoping is going to take off very big is this thing called IPIE. Uh, it's an information platform that is being put together by Nobel laureates, along with the Peace Tech Lab. We're hoping to get it eventually to the United Nations to, to become an international standard so that you can start to figure out. And look, technology gets you here. Technology gets you screwed up. Right. It, it it allows for devious things to happen. I mean, you you get this when you get phishing emails, you get this when a lot of things happen, right? You don't know what's real and what's not real. So there's another way to apply technology to help you sort through all of that, to figure that out, to give you a better set of tools so that you can you can value, grade, and score what's going on. I, I if I and not to be morbid, Anthony, but this, I would hope, would be my capstone. If I could actually get this, you know, close to the front line, close to everybody, get something worked out here so that you could apply some technology to know. You can still believe what you want to believe, but you should know its truth. You should know its source. You should know where it comes from. And I, I like to say this, and my wife argues with me and says nobody understands it other than you. But I have a belief that everything known, everything that is known, is knowable, if you understand the difference between known and knowable, mm -hmm. and that the time to knowledge is shrinking mm -hmm. because of technology. And that is what, if I had something to be chiseled on my tombstone, I would like to have chiseled on my tombstone, 
and the fact that I helped make that happen. And I'm hopeful that this IPIE, Peace Tech Lab initiative, pushes us there, Anthony, because we need to understand that as we sit on the we sit on the verge of a virtual reality world where it gets harder and harder for you to tell it's it's me here. All right. It gets harder and harder for me to tell that it's really you there as opposed to some character, you know, that's been made up. So does that make sense to you a little bit here? Absolutely. I mean, the the ability for things to, well, we talked about good and evil, not in a manner of speaking, and it's what is real. You know, uh, I heard, you know, we have all this AI, but AI is programming AI. So if artificial information or intelligence is programming other artificial intelligence, then what is the real? What is the real meat? What is the fake meat? And, and am I not a, how do you not know I'm now glitching because I'm actually a robot? you know, strategy and leadership podcast. So anyway, point of that is it's, we're on the edge of newness. And I think that for leaders to build for good and, and use that as a guiding principle and, um, and to be able to take your words, because as uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. And so I think that we should all uh, embrace that. But as we finish up today, where can people get your book? Where can they connect with you? And where can you uh, share some of the things that you want to share so that people use their responsibility wisely? Sure. Um, so Anthony, you can get my book online. You can also go to book. Com. If I live in Ridgefield, Connecticut, you could order it from our little bookstore here, uh, the Books on the Common in Ridgefield, uh, Connecticut. And if you're really interested in connecting with me, happy to, you can dump, you can dump your request into Anthony, you'll send them to me, or you can send them to me directly at nmd1, nmd1 at ymail.com, nmd1 at ymail.com. That's awesome. Nick, it's been a personal and professional pleasure. I wish nothing but the best for you and your, you know, whatever the heck you bite your teeth into. I think it's going to be a hell of a ride. And I really look forward to, to following more. And just thank you for the time today. It's been a, a, a true pleasure. Be safe, be well, and always be nice. Ciao. Likewise, folks, my guest today, Nick D'Onofrio, sharing his experience and not just past, present, and future about where the world is going, where it's gone, and how nothing really changes. It just gets more complex. So thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't. Get the book, especially if you're in Connecticut. No excuses there. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor, a real person, not a robot. I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.